All right, so I'm going to build off of some of what Jim talked about a little bit. So this is, this is in your little booklet of notes as well. Um, I'm going to talk some about just Bonhoeffer's view of the church and the community that comes from the church. Um, I'm going to do a little bit more of a book report than Jim did, um, but focusing in on that particular element, which is a big part of chapter one in Life Together. And then we'll uh, just discuss a little bit, and I'd love to hear your feedback. For those of you who read the book or part of the book, I'd love to just kind of hear questions that came up for you, things that you found uh, to be meaningful or confusing or whatever the case may be. So uh, I was reading this week, one author uh, that I read wrote that Bonhoeffer's life is what initially draws our attention because it is so dramatic. I mean, this is a guy who, as Jim said, it saw, saw like Hitler's rise to power and everything that was happening in Germany. And at one point, he, he leaves Germany in the late 30s and comes to America and feels deeply convicted uh, that he's sort of abandoned his people and actually like turns around and goes back into Germany, 1939, something like that, just right at the beginning of World War II. And um, like very intentionally goes back into the fray um, I mean, there's just all kinds of clandestine stuff that he's involved in. Uh, if you haven't read Eric Metax's biography of Bonhoeffer, it really is great. Um, and so I would, I'd recommend it to you. Um, but his life is what draws us in, like the story of Bonhoeffer's life. Um, but this author said that what really keeps people's attention with him is his church and Christ-based theology. Like when you really start digging into what Bonhoeffer believed... Uh, one, you see that he is extremely consistent throughout his adult life in his view of the church, his view of community, um, and it is something that to me is really compelling, um, and it's sort of in the foreground of life together. So for Bonhoeffer, all theology, which is just the way we understand God, the way we think about God, all theology begins with community because all, the- all theology begins with God revealing himself to people. All theology, the way we understand God, all of that begins with community because it all begins with God revealing himself to people. Our understanding of God, yes, comes from Scripture, but what is Scripture if it isn't God revealing himself to people, right? God didn't, like, just drop the Bible out of heaven. Nobody, like, dug it up magically, God inspired human authors to write the words of Scripture. He revealed himself to people. And um, not only is he doing that, is he revealing himself to people, but those people then have to process and wrestle with his self-revelation in community with other people, right? So my guess would be that you're, like, we're all theologians. Like, we all have some understanding of God, some way that we think about God, some ideas about God. For you, I, my guess is that that didn't just come from you reading the Bible on your own. Like your understanding of God didn't simply come from you reading the Bible in a vacuum or in a bubble. More than likely, it came from you reading or hearing read the scriptures within the context of a church community or somebody distilling the scriptures to you in the context of a church community, or you praying with other people in the context of a church community. Like those four things that he was talking about just a minute ago that kind of constitute community and make it work. Like all of those things are teaching us about God as we engage with him, as we read his word, as we sing 
um, doctrine as we sing things that are true about God and what he's done. Uh, an example of this, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, right? He gave the Ten Commandments to a person, but Moses then had to come down off the mountain and wrestle with those commands in the context of community. It's no coincidence that the first commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me. And then Moses comes down off the mountain and finds the people actively fashioning other gods. Like, like from the jump, they've already missed the boat. Like, they've already, like, lost track of who it is God's called them to be. Um, and in that scenario, at least one person, Moses is seeking God, at least one person is kind of uh, metaphorically and literally going up on the mountain to meet with God, um, but the others in the community were not. So it's a community in the strictest sense. Like it is a group of people uh, in a particular place who are sort of living life together, but it was a really unhealthy community as well. Because there's sort of one person who's really pursuing the Lord and then sort of bringing God's law, God's commands down to the people, but the rest of the people aren't as actively seeking the Lord, and they're scared of him. Like, they don't want to go up on the mountain. They want Moses to be the one that goes up and hears from the Lord on their behalf. Um, It was a community, but it was an unhealthy community. So Bonhoeffer's picture of community, though, is is not that of like one person going up onto the mountain to meet with God and to to come back down and like force some rules on people or one person seeking the Lord on behalf of everyone else. I, I think there are some churches that have that view of their pastor, that what our pastor, our pastor is like God's man, like he is the singular person that God has chosen to lead our community and to like hear from the Lord on our behalf. And, and there are plenty of pastors out there that like try to embody that role. And it denies the fact that we all have the potential to hear from the Lord. And that there's not just one person in any community who solely hears from God on behalf of the whole community. Um, and I think Bonhoeffer, like his views would have dovetailed with what I just said. Um, his picture is that the church is actually a collection of people who each have rich individual relationships with Christ. A group of people who each have rich individual relationships with, with, relationships with Christ who come together to have a rich collective experience of Christ. So, so we each have been saved by God's grace, through faith in Christ, and as people who've been saved by God's grace, we come together and we have this experience of Christ together as well. Um, And also that those two dynamics, that of like the personal and the corporate experience of Christ, that those things are deeply intertwined. Like you, you can't have one without the other to some extent, and one like begets the other. As well. In other words, when Bonhoeffer uses the term community, he isn't only talking about community in like the strictest sense of that word, just like a system of relationships in a particular place at a particular time. Like you, you have community in your neighborhood in in the strictest sense. Like you, you may not know your neighbor super well, but you all have one thing in common, which is you live on that street. You live in a particular place. It is a community. But what Bonhoeffer's talking about is something that really is spiritual in nature. It isn't just physical in nature. It's not just 
it's not just strict ecclesia in the sense that some people are together in a room and so there is community. No, he's really talking about the relationship that, that each of us have to Christ and like what happens when people who know Christ come together and seek him together. Um, in Bonhoeffer's doctoral dissertation, uh, which is called Sanctorum Communio, or Communion of the Saints, he says this, this is on your sheet, community with God exists only through Christ, but Christ is present only in his church community, and therefore community with God exists only in the church. So, so read that again. Community with God exists only through Christ, but Christ is present only in his church community, and therefore community with God exists only in the church. So, so think about that statement for just a moment. What are some of the implications of that statement? Like, what are some things that are implied in what he's talking about there? Well, one thing I would say is he's essentially saying that you cannot have community with God without the church. You cannot have community with God without the church. He's also saying you can't access the reconciliatory work of Christ, the salvific work of Christ. You can't even access that outside of the church. It's sort of a logical argument he's making. And, and so we could even restate it as if community with God exists only through Christ, but Christ is present only in his church, then community with God exists only in the church. It's sort of this, if A and B, then C, right? So let's break that down. Community with God exists only through Christ, the first clause. So scripturally, that's dead on. That's true. Without Jesus' death and resurrection, then we have no way to be in community with God, Right? This is where it starts. It, it's not just relationship with Jesus. He, he, he starts with community with God. Community with God exists only through Christ. Without Jesus' work, without his body and his blood, then we have no way, we have no pathway to have community with God. We're separated from him and incapable of reconciling ourselves to him or pursuing some other means of reconciliation to him. What does Jesus famously say? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the pathway, like I am the doorway. And, and so if you want community with the Father, this thing that you don't deserve, this thing that you're incapable of attaining for yourself, if you want that, you have to go through me. Second, Christ is present only in his church. This is that second clause in this statement. So... There was a time when Christ was physically present on the earth, right? In the incarnation, there was a time when he walked among us and was flesh and blood. But now he is present on earth through the church. And what does scripture call us? The body of Christ, right? And that's not, I don't think, I don't think it's simply metaphor. Like I think we literally are the hands and feet of Christ in our world today. And the goal is that people would see Christ in us, not just hear about Christ from us, but that people would literally see him in us in, in the way that we love our neighbors as ourselves. 
And then the third part of that is that community with God exists only in the church. So community with God exists only through Christ, but Christ is present only in his church. So community with God exists only in the church. Now recognize we have a funny relationship with the word church, right? We hear the word church, we start thinking of buildings and places and architecture and institutions. Um, but Bonhoeffer here is primarily talking about people, right? We, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. Um, and the language that he's using is decidedly Pauline language, meaning the Apostle Paul. Like, like that's, I think, where he's getting this stuff. This idea that Christ exists within the church. Remember, it's, it's both corporate and it's individual. That Christ exists within you. Like, we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit all the time. We talk about Pentecost and the Spirit coming down into the lives of believers. But Paul says in multiple places and in multiple ways that Christ also lives in you. Right, Not just the Holy Spirit, but Christ as well. So a few examples. These are on your sheet. Galatians 2.20, super famous statement of Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? But Christ now lives in me. And in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? I've, my identity has now been jettisoned, and the identity that I'm taking on is Christ. And again, I don't think it's purely metaphorical or symbolic here. I think he truly believes Christ now lives within him. Colossians 1, to them, and the them here is the church, or Paul says the saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, his energy, Christ's energy, that he powerfully works within me. So, so Paul is inadvertently saying here, I couldn't even be doing this if it weren't for him. Like if, not, and again, if he wasn't physically present in me, I couldn't even be doing the stuff that I'm doing. And then Ephesians 3, which I love, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, which what he means there is that like, we receive kind of our identity and our being from God. He, he names us in that sense. That according to the riches of his glory, we may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So not just the Holy Spirit, not just Jesus, but that somehow we're being filled with the fullness of God. Look at verse 20 there. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I have some friends at a church that did like a, a, a big capital campaign, building campaign, raising money uh, a few years ago. And that was like their, uh, like their rally cry. You know, God's able to do abundantly more than we can ask or think. And they raised like $24 million or something. Crazy. 
Um, and that, I don't think that it's wrong to use that verse in that way, but, but that's not what Paul's talking about here, right? What Paul's talking about here is, it, like, this is, this is coming right off the hills of, him, hills of him talking about us being filled with the fullness of God, which is, like, abundantly beyond anything we could imagine. Right, that that would even be possible, and and even as we talk about it, we're talking about something that is mystery, like we we can't even fully explain how that happens or how that is true, and yet Paul says it is, and without it, I I couldn't even be doing this that I'm doing what I'm doing now. So the living Christ is not simply found in the pages of the Bible, right? He is found in the church. He's found in the lives of believers who through faith in Christ have found community with God. And it's from this community with God and the resulting indwelling of God in our lives, both Christ, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God, it's in, it's in all of that that we then come together in physical community. What makes a church community is not that a group of people gather on Sunday morning. It isn't that we sing songs about God or read from the Bible or pray. We can all do all of those things in, in sort of that cheap grace way that, that Jim was talking about. What really constitutes the church is that we have community with God through faith in Christ. Um, and as a result of our community with God individually through faith in Christ, we are united together as a body, his body. So, thus, Bonhoeffer writes in Life Together, um, the on your sheet, that Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. So just real quick, that through and in language he's using here, like the church exists through Christ in that it is only through Jesus' sacrifice that the church is constituted. Like Jesus has established the church through his death and resurrection. He's created the church. Um, so so it, it is through him that we could even say a church exists. It's not through uh, filing for a 501c3, and becoming a nonprofit organization. It's, it's not through uh, throwing a website up there or picking out a church name. Um, it's not through uh, electing or choosing leaders in a community of people. What constitutes any true church is Christ. It's what he's done for us. So that's the through Christ piece. But then the in Christ piece is that the only thing that sustains the church that has been established is Christ as well. It's, it's not because of how well we follow him. Um, it's not because of how right our doctrine is. Um, it's not because of how loving we are to other people. Like the only thing that sustains the church is Jesus as well. It is his body. We are his body. So it is only through Christ and in Christ that any of this is happening. Um, and that's because, he says... The Christian is the man who no longer seeks his salvation, his deliverance, his justification in himself, but in Jesus Christ alone. What is it that makes you a Christian? Right? It is, it, as, as Jim talked about, it's, it's not coming to church. It's not engagement in religious things. 
Um, it's not participating in rituals. Like what he's saying here is that if you are a Christian, then you are somebody whose hope has been found, right? Like your, your deliverance has been found. Your justification is found. You no longer need to search for that. You no longer need to long for that. You no longer need to be looking for that. Like it is done. It is finished, to use Jesus' words. And, and so the Christian is the man who no longer seeks his salvation. Also, the Christian no longer lives of himself by his own claims and his own justification. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. But you're living by God's claims. You're living by God's justification through Christ. So in the same way, we cannot navigate the tricky waters of life together, the messy waters of life together without him. Bonhoeffer says that the goal of all Christian community is that they meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. This is what he says in Life Together, that they, they meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. And I don't think what he primarily means there is that we're all sharing like a salvation message or a gospel message verbally um, with each other, or, that, or even that we're like sharing our testimonies with each other. Those aren't bad things, certainly. But I think that what he's really talking about here is that on like a spiritual level, that when we come together, that we're like recognizing the presence of Christ in each other, that we're like gaining an awareness of his reality in each other's lives as we live life together, that we're seeing glimpses of that in each other, that we are in a sense recognizing salvation in each other. Um, And that recognition of Christ binds us together in community. All right, let me close with this. The folly of self-formation. If what I just said is true, that it's truly Christ that constitutes and forms the church, the community, it isn't just us. Um, Bonhoeffer says this is a divine reality, right? The church is not just a physical entity. It's a spiritual entity, And it doesn't exist without Jesus, as we've said. Bonhoeffer writes, innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it has sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian sat down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and to try to uh, realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate, with ourselves. So not that we assume sort of this self-righteous posture, but what he's saying is it's impossible that we would experience life together in the church and not grow, uh, like not lose our idealism along the way, that as we actually live true life together, that we see each other's sin, and, and that it doesn't become this thing where it's, 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 it's them and it's me, right? And I, I don't have those issues. Everybody else has these issues, but, but that ultimately I, I, I become more aware of my own sin than ever before because I, I'm, I'm trying to live life together with other followers of Christ, um, 
And he says that's God leading us to a genuine knowledge of Christian fellowship, which is, is beautiful because that's the stuff that most of us are trying to avoid, if we're being honest. Like, that's, like we don't want drama, and we don't want conflict. We want to avoid that stuff like the plague. And I can't tell you how many people I've known over the years who would much rather just leave a church than to have to deal with the conflict that they're experiencing or to have to have honest conversations with people about how they've been hurt. And what Bonhoeffer's saying is if, if there's not some level of that going on, it's not real Christian community. You're, you're not actually being real with each other. You're not actually living life with each other. Um, but, but hopefully... What it's, what it's really doing is it's bringing you to a greater place of humility, me to a greater place of humility. In other words, we need to quickly get over any utopian or like rose-colored visions we might have of what the church could be. If we want to um, destroy community, then I think Bonhoeffer would say we need to inject unattainable human ideals into it. Another way we could say that is that it's not up to us to define what the church is. That's not a task that God's given us. Instead, it is Christ who gets to set our identity. He gets to set the identity of the body of Christ. That's like that scripture we read in a minute ago where it talks about God naming people. That's, that's his job. He writes, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance. Any, like any, anything that we've just concocted and we've said, this is who we're going to be, which, man, the church loves to do today. Like, like you go to any church leadership conference and they're going to talk about vision and vision casting. And a lot of times that, that's about like, you know, what's the unique thing that your church is going to do? And what Bonhoeffer's saying is get rid of that stuff. Like get down to the nitty gritty of what the church actually is because when you do that, you're not going to have to sit around and go, hmm, I wonder what we're supposed to do as a church. Like when you really dig into who Christ is and what he's done for us, then it's going to be beyond obvious. Like what we do as a church. We worship God. We love our neighbors. Like, and, and that'll take on a variety of forms, but that doesn't have to spring from, like you, I'm not coming up with some unique vision if that's the vision, Right. So anything other than that, if we have some alternative vision for what the church is supposed to be that we're trying to inject into it, it's, it's doomed to failure, he says. Like, it, it will not result in the true church. It may result in an organization that grows and perpetuates, but it may not be the true church. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. And that, like, that hits me hard because I'm a church planner, right? And you have to have a certain level of idealism to want to start a church or start anything for that matter. Um, if you're part of our recent membership class, you know that we've thought a great deal and dreamed a lot about what we hope this could look like. But the reality is that it can only be and will only be what Christ desires it to be. And that's what we should want most of all. Um, we have to be open-handed with any idealistic or preferential notions that we might have of what the church is or will be now or in the future. And if we trust Christ, like if he truly is, um, if he truly is our Lord and Master, then our heart's desire should be for it to be exactly what he wants it to be, right? 
rather than what we want it to be. So let me stop there.